This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Hey, this is Felix. Before we get started, I want to let you know that NPR is doing its annual survey to better understand how listeners like you spend time with podcasts. So please help us out by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash podcast survey. That's one word. We would really appreciate your help to support NPR podcasts, and it also helps us here at Alt Latino. That's npr.org slash podcast survey, one word. Mil gracias. Okay, let's get on with the show. NPR's Planet Money Summer School is back. This season is all about investing. We've got stories of big bets, bubble spotting, and cute animals, too. Every Wednesday to Labor Day from NPR's Planet Money. It has been described as the largest and most significant demonstration in Cuba in recent decades. On July 11th, thousands of Cuban citizens took to the streets across the island to protest their frustrations with the Cuban government over things like food and medicine shortages as well as the country's response or lack of to the COVID pandemic. There were sympathy demonstrations in various locations off the island as the Cuban diaspora and their sympathizers rallied in support of the Cuban people. Here in Washington, D.C., on a recent rainy Saturday afternoon, hundreds of demonstrators gathered in front of the White House for a rally. In the demonstrations on and off the island, there were cries of libertad and also patria y vida, or homeland and life, a slogan-worthy phrase that is actually the title of a song. From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. And I'm Ana Maria Sayer. And this week, we're going to spend some time talking about Cuba. Specifically, the song Patria y Vida, a track that some say contains the most strident lyrics ever challenging the Cuban Communist Party's six-decade rule of the island nation. So here's what we're going to do. We've got a translation of the lyrics of the song for you provided by Cuban-American musician Lily Blanco. We're going to take a deep dive into this translation to help us decipher some of the cultural and historical references hidden within these lyrics. And we're going to hear from a Cuban independent journalist about the latest of what's happening on the ground in Cuba. Then we're going to hear from a Howard University professor about the surprisingly short history of Cuban musicians taking on their government in song. Finally, we published a digital piece about this song, and we want to address some of the internet chatter we've heard around that, questioning who really may be behind the demonstrations and the song itself. Lots to get into this week, so let's get right to it. Patria y Vida, Homeland and Life. It's a bold play on Patria o Muerte, a slogan that was born with the Cuban Revolution six decades ago when Fidel Castro and other leaders asked the Cuban people to declare a new Cuba or die trying. 
The track was produced back in February by five black Cuban musicians. Yotuel Romero, who was a member of the pioneering hip-hop band Orishas back in the late 1990s. He is also an actor, record producer, and songwriter for other artists. Decemer Bueno is a vocalist and prolific composer, as well as a record producer who led the band Yerba Buena out of New York in the 1990s, returned to Cuba for a spell, and only recently left Cuba for Miami. And Alexander Delgado and Randy Malcolm, a duo that make up the very popular reggaeton band Gente de Zona. All four artists currently live in exile. The track also includes two musicians who are still in Havana. Rappers Michael Castillo, also known as Michael Osorbo, and Eliezer El Funky Marquez. The song was released in February, was making its way around the diaspora, and then the demonstrations put the song and its chant-like chorus front and center. As I record this, it has over 7 million views on YouTube. Earlier this week, Alt Latino published a translation of the song's incendiary lyrics with the help of Miami-based musician Lily Blanco, who also gave Ana some of the cultural and historical context of the song. My name is Lily Blanco. I'm a singer-songwriter from Miami, Florida. I was born and raised here. My parents are Cuban exiles. They left Cuba in the early 60s. And uh, basically, since we were born, we've been we've been taught and, and it's been ingrained in our souls, the fight for liberty for Cuba. And we've been aware our whole lives of the atrocities. Throughout the years, I've been involved in some human rights activism and I'm happy to be here with you today to talk about the phenomenon of this song and of this movement, really. First thing I wanna say is I wanna give praise and honor to the folks who I think are most responsible for creating this movement and inciting this movement, which are the artists in Cuba, the academics, the people in the arts who actually really have been consistent with their messages and trying to create awareness around the world. It's When speaking about these artists as heroes in Cuba, in what's going on, you said consistent. What does that mean to you? Artists have consistently been resistant in Cuba, have been um, people yeah, who are carrying like, the resistance. They've the been labeled the dissidents. They're the ones who have been wanting to put their 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 words down and share with the world. They're the ones that have been put have put their story into song. Um, when you see the limitations that they have in their country, and that they have figured out smartphones, and they have figured out how to record, and they have figured out how to put a concert online uh, so that the world can can pay to watch it. It's pretty fascinating and it's and it's inspiring and it's and it makes you feel like you need to join the cause. And they've been doing this consistently year after year. They haven't been knocked down. They've done hunger strikes. They've done, they've been jailed. They've been beaten in the streets and they keep coming back saying, you're not going to you're not going to hush me. I've got things to say and the world needs to listen. Mm-hmm. Country and life. They shouldn't have to lose their life to be in their country. And it's happening every day. People are starving, people are dying. It's a little bit conflicting, but it's exciting, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of mixed feelings all in one place. Conflicting, why, why do you say conflicting? Conflicting because it's sad, because the circumstances that have led us to this and this awareness, like anything else, I guess, you know? There's, takes a lot of suffering before people start to wake up. I, I get very excited thinking, oh my God, Libre, you know, this is the moment. And then you see the videos and it's just like, at what cost? I, I think we see that in these lyrics. I've been looking through 
this wonderful translation that you did and it's a rallying cry and it's also very sad no can you can you walk me through a little bit of some of what you think as a whole the song voices from the get-go it's beautiful the the beginning of the song with that melody Comparing the voice of Cuba to a siren song is, is a really beautiful visual, you know, and they go right into inviting. They're not specific as to who. They're inviting you to see the reality. They're inviting you, inviting communism and whoever thinks that they've done this great thing with this island to come and check out the slums they live in and the world that they're living in and and feel what the people are feeling you know ahead of a circus there, there's a guy with a there's a marching band no and it's there's a lot of fanfare and always has been in cuba the song has historical references the song has the battle cry the chorus and it's interesting because it wasn't until i started translating the song for you guys that i realized that there is no real chorus that there is a chorus but it's at the end and it becomes kind of a chant or a mantra. But it's not the typical song that has a measure of A, B, A, B, chorus, A, B, you know, mm -hmm. and that's powerful too. That's powerful too because they've been successful with a song where you're kind of obligated to pay attention and it's not a turn off and it doesn't turn you away on the contrary. It, you feel empowered at the end of it. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the magic of that song. Yeah, it's a voice, a modern day voice for the people, but if it was a bad song, it wouldn't work. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you have good songwriters put that thing together. Where do you see most visibly the voice of what you're calling the Cubans of now? Where in the song are you like, this has a distinct feel to it that is something of this generation of this moment. That phrase, that that verse where they talk about the pomp and circumstance. They specifically allude to, you know, we're gonna we're we're having to trade Che Guevara and Martí for for currency to be able to to survive. Che Guevara and Martí is interesting. Cuba indoctrinated, this generation that wrote this was indoctrinated by an educational system that used Che Guevara as if he was a hero when he was an assassin. And at the same time used the real solid reputation of a patriot, of Jose Martí, one of the greatest orators and poets of all time. They used him also in education. He was like what they used to show you know, he's a poet, so all his quotes are magnificent, but they, the government didn't stand by any of them. That That is impacting to me because I didn't live that. I didn't go to school where I had to wake up in the morning and go, you know, I'm going to be like a che. These kids did. So, mm -hmm. so to put that in the song for me, it really identifies their voice for that time frame. It helps remind people that everything's perspective. You know, you want to go around wearing a che shirt because you think that that's romantic, that's what you were sold. Mm -hmm. These people, they, they're sold that 
they're trying to trade that to be able to eat, to buy food, to get basic hygiene supplies, you know? And that I think is a stab at the government, a big one. Todo ha cambiado, ya no es lo mismo. Entre tú y yo hay un abismo. Publicidad, un paraíso, un varadero. Mientras las madres lloran por sus hijos que se fueron. This reference of varadero, which is like the ultimate place. My parents, my grandparents, just the amount of times that we heard Las playas de Varadero, the beaches of Varadero, it's heaven. So right. they've exploited that. The government of Cuba has exploited that. There's people mm -hmm. that travel all around the world and they come to Cuba and they ride on 57 Chevy that's in pristine condition and they think that that's Cuba and that's not Cuba. Mm -hmm. And so they address that. They address that, you know, you, you're flaunting your beaches. You're flaunting Varadero. And, those, and by the way, the, the people cannot go to Varadero. They're not allowed there. The people of the country are not allowed here. Going back a little bit to this line where they say, we are human, although we do not think alike, let's not treat or hurt each other like animals. Do you think that that's, that's speaking to the government or to the world? I think that it, it can apply to anything, but I think specifically it's speaking to the police that are on the street. I think it's a, it's a call, I think, to officers to be on the right side of history because they're human too, because this is over. Democracy's coming, freedom's coming. Where do you want to stand on this? And it's a call to those people to have the courage to, to step up. I wanted to quickly point you towards the lines, Ana Mel and Ramon steady with their poetry, Omara Ruiz. Yes. Aparelis Ramon is a poet, a writer, a young girl who has been detained, harassed, not let out of her house because of what she puts in her writing. The other references that they make, Omara is a professor um, who wanted to create awareness about cancer, breast cancer. She is a patient of breast cancer and she on a campaign for breast cancer awareness, they arrested her. Her punishment, because this doesn't fit in people's heads when you really think about it. Her punishment was to not give her the treatment that she needed. So that's who those folks are. Mm -hmm. And the folks who really started the entire movement in recent years, El Movimiento San Isidro, which is a group of artists, intellects, academics, journalists, who have all um, sort of tried to join forces since 2018 to be able to express themselves because they weren't originally protesting anything more specific than artistic expression. What about this line, and, and this is one of the, the ones I've been most curious about, you five nine, me double two, 60 years of stalemate domino. Cuba, one of the biggest pastimes, uh, baseball back in the day, is playing dominoes. It's a big Cuban thing. It's, it's actually big in Latin America, but in Cuba, the amount of t the tiles go to double nines. There's a lot of places in the world where they only go to six, six. So there's a issue of reference that some people may not get, but in Cuba, they go to nine. So, and at the end of a domino game, the only thing that ends the game is either you've used all your pieces, you've matched all your pieces as you've played, or nobody has a piece that matches the numbers that are left on the board. Mm -hmm. When that happens, el huevo se trancó. It's a stalemate. The game is over. The game is done. There's no steps that we can take to further this thing. So when they say 
ya se acabó, tú cinco nueve yo doble dos. What they're saying is, it's over. You have a five nine. You have the tie with the five nine, alluding to 1959 um, when Fidel Castro and his people came and took over. Um, I have two two, alluding to a double two that doesn't match anything else on the board, and it's it. And I I I I've never seen this mentioned, but my guess. It's alluding to 2022 when we're going to see a, a real free Cuba. Mm. It's our moment. Yours was the 5-9, ours is the 2-2. The game is over. So the lyrics as they are mean a lot to Cubans when they hear them. What do you think is... is the implication of the song or, or the success of the song on, on a global scale for people who are listening to it, who can't necessarily identify all of the references or things like that. What do you, what do you think is the, um, the goal there? I, I think the goal is more of empowering the voice of the Cuban people, whether they're in or outside of the, of the island, because um, there's Cuban people all over the world. I don't know, for me, it gives me a sense of like, okay, I don't know who these people are that were raised in that country. I was born and raised in the United States. But the thread that connects us is tight. Mm -hmm. And that song is a song we can, we can all sing. You are listening to Alt Latino from NPR Music. I'm Felix Contreras. For many people, Cuba is synonymous with music. And in the earliest days of the revolution, Fidel Castro and his new government used that to their advantage. The Cuban revolutionary government has always understood the power of the arts. Dr. Aisha Court is an Afro-Cuban woman who is a lecturer at Howard University and also studies cultural production in contemporary Cuba. Music, visual arts, literature, film, all cultural expression is a mode of narration. It's a way to talk about your story, who you are, where you're at. And... For Cuban artists, it's been a way to explore and how they navigate the realities of Cuban revolutionary life. Dr. Court says in the 1960s, musicians sang the praises not just of the revolution, but also its leaders. This track is called Hasta Que Llegó Fidel, or Until Fidel Arrived, by the vocalist Carlos Puebla. It was recorded in 1961. <laughs> What you see in the 70s, the Nueva Trova Cubana. You have main artists like Silvio Rodriguez, his album Diaz y Flores from 1975. You know it, everybody knows it, right? Playa Girón is about the Bay of Pigs invasion. Compañeros de historia, tomando en cuenta lo implacable que debe ser la verdad. The 90s, there's an explosion of hip hop. The collapse of the Soviet Union and their financial support of Cuba coincided with the arrival of hip-hop on the island. And soon, Black Cuban hip-hop artists were using metaphor and innuendo in their flow to express frustration of the so-called special period of Cuban history. One of those bands that rose above the fray and attracted international attention was Orishas, which featured a very young Yotuel Romero. Dr. Court says there is a lesson in all of this history, as well as what's going on in Cuba right now. I think what's so great about 
this movement and these talks and these issues and these debates that we're having is that this is a song where Cuban voices are recognized, acknowledged, and centered, right? Even as a Cuban American, it's not about us, right? This is a moment for Cuba, for Cubans. We can support, but this is a song that is about the reality on the island. You are listening to Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. Let's go back to that demonstration in Washington, D.C. for a moment. Well, Patria y Vida was recorded by a younger group of musicians. It has had an intergenerational impact, according to some of the demonstrators here in D.C. La canción se hizo fuera de Cuba. ¿Por qué? Porque era imposible. Los dos artistas que ves en la canción en el video en Cuba fue en secreto, escondido, porque le cuesta prisión. ¿okay? La canción fuera de Cuba se convirtió en un himno, un himno para la juventud. Y es lo contrario de lo que ofrecía Fidel Castro. Patria o muerte no quiere nadie en Cuba. Queremos patria y vida. Ese es el sentido de la canción. Por eso nos involucramos, los más ancianos, los más jóvenes, los más niños, todos. Yes, it's practically saying homeland and life, and that's all Cubans want. Cuban want, wants freedom. They're tired of an oppressed system. They're tired of a dictatorship. And that is all they want, freedom. And I hope the U.S. hears us and the world knows what's happening in Cuba. Vida. It's not about the revolution before anymore because that doesn't resonate with the youth now. Vida means to live, and we support people. Nuestro cubano, somos apoyando. Whether you're here in D.C., whether you're from Miami, whether you're in Cuba, escúchame, mi gente, estamos contigo. And that cross-generational appeal is an unexpected comfort to one of the song's performers. During a Zoom interview from Miami, December Bueno talked about how the song has become embraced as an important part of Cuban history. When they showed the song to me, that the songs have another name. The name was Se Acabó. And I heard one melody of the song with the lyrics saying Patria y Vida. I understood that that's exactly the antithesis of the patria o muerte. That's, that, that was a waking up for all the Cubans. A lot of things changed from the, that, uh, the title of that, of that song came out and the people really embraced it. This is a fast-moving story. Just as we were finishing producing this week's show, the White House announced strategic sanctions against members of the Cuban security forces for their aggressive reaction to the demonstrations, reportedly taking hundreds of demonstrators into custody. The Cuban government also reportedly shut down access to the Internet and social media, which had been used for organizing protests. One week after the demonstrations, Lulu Garcia Navarro from NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday spoke to Abraham Jimenez Enoa, an independent Cuban journalist who lives in Havana and is a columnist for the Washington Post. Now, almost two weeks after the demonstration, we reached out to Jimenez Enoa again for another update and to get his response to the U.S. sanctions. He says, yeah, I just read about it. I think that in one sense it is a valid action. Every government is going to act in ways that are important for that country. But in reality, these types of actions and sanctions don't have anything to do with the Cuban people. They are actions by the U.S., diplomatic actions that tell the world that we are watching what the Cuban government does. The Cuban government will ignore that, and it doesn't have much impact for the Cuban people. 
Okay, now it's time to address a little controversy that has been brewing around the song and specifically the article we published about it. Here's Anna to explain. Okay, so a day before we were set to publish the show, we started getting a lot of feedback from people on social media mostly, alerting us to the potential that we were only clued into half of the story. Namely, people were questioning whether or not the song is an organic expression of frustration with the current situation on the island, like we initially expected, or is it somehow connected to a documented, we'll get to what that means in a minute, history of arts and culture on the island being influenced by clandestine U.S. government efforts to foment dissent against the Cuban government. So in this final segment of the show, we're going to try to address this. Through further research, what we discovered is that there is a precedent for this, historically across the globe and more recently in Cuba. In 2014, former alt-Latino host Jasmine Garz reported via NPR that there was an Associated Press report that came out saying that the USAID secretly funded money to contractors to recruit, promote, and set up concerts for young rappers in Cuba in order to help promote social change. The program took place from 2009 to 2011 and was reportedly ended. To get some on-the-ground insight about this claim, we turn back to Washington Post reporter Abraham Jimenez Inoa, who you heard from earlier, and asked him point-blank, what are the chances Patria y Vida is the product of a CIA-backed initiative? He also says that the song has become like a hymn for the Cuban people, for all the people who fight for change to the regime. The song has been censored in Cuba, and anyone associated with the song here in Cuba is now in prison. The two Cuban rappers, and even a photographer who shot their part of the popular video, he's in prison for a year. The song has become so popular that if you are caught listening to it in your home, in your car, or even at a party, they will throw you in prison. The song is completely censored by the government. Wow. To gain a better understanding of the history behind this kind of claim, we talked to Daniel Immervar. He's a professor of history specializing in 20th century U.S. history within a global context at Northwestern University. Two years ago, he released a national best-selling book called How to Hide an Empire, which tells the history of the United States' overseas possessions and the true meaning of its empire. His short answer? He doesn't know. But he filled in a bit of history for us. What is the likelihood that the song Patria y Vida, as well as the demonstrations uh, that are taking place in Cuba, are the result of some kind of clandestine U.S. government interference or instigation? Well, I don't know, but what I do know about U.S. history and the long history of U.S. sponsoring of culture and culture as a sort of weapon since 1945, I'd say it's pretty low. In short, Professor Imavar doesn't buy the conspiracy. But as professors often do, he complicated the idea for us. The rules of power in these situations are a lot more complicated than what meets the eye. My usual response to conspiracy theory is not to say that's wrong because I couldn't imagine a powerful country would want to, you know, the United States would want to undermine Cuba. It's, 
it's implausible because that's not usually the mechanism by which it works. Conspiracy theories often imagine a really direct relationship. So there is a puppet master, there is a puppet, and that's how power works. And in my experience, it's not that power doesn't operate. It's just it operates in a much more diffuse kind of way so that there isn't a guy in a back room with a plan, uh, you know, and a sort of classified document that if you found it would blow the case wide open. That's that's not always how it works. And often power uh, is much vaguer than that. And that doesn't mean it's not serious. It is incredibly serious. And so the language, the genre uh, that people use to express dissent from you know, not, not just in Cuba, but all kinds of countries that have been the enemies of the United States have been profoundly influenced by the idioms, the genres, the messages that emanate out of the United States. That is power working. It's just not a guy with a like secret slush fund who's just like identified the, exactly the right rappers in order to like bring down the regime. Okay, so at this point, we decided to go straight to the source. We asked Desemir, one of the architects of the song who you heard earlier, was the United States government involved in the song? Here's how that went down. I'm going to ask you a question that has come up in some parts of social media, and that is the idea or the theory or the accusation that not only the demonstrations in Cuba, but also the song is part of an effort by the United States to destabilize the government, un, un proyecto clandestino. Okay. Absolutely. So the people, is, I mean, that's also an strategic of the Cuban government that has been... And then at this point, the Zoom connection suddenly and inexplicably stopped. This was the last answer of a 15-minute interview, and there had been no problems with the connection from Miami before this. Now, I'm not looking under beds for spies or anything, but it did make me go, hmm. After reconnecting, December Bueno finished his answer. Now, let me tell you something. When we start with the idea of get together, participating in these songs together, like Yotue Romero, me, and Gente de Zona, nobody contact us. Uh, nobody paid us a single penny for going to the studio. Actually, I, I, I record my own voice in my own studio, in my house in Miami. Um, I think everybody do exactly the same. Because that was the more difficult time of, of the COVID in, uh, in Miami, you know. Nobody getting money. Everybody was putting the heart in the song. Nobody contacted us. Whatever things of the Cuban regime is saying about this song, they're lying. From the really early beginning, they're saying that we are jineteros. Whatever they say, whatever the regime say about us, they're lying. Whatever the regime say about the song, they're lying to the, to the whole world, you know. For the first time in a long time, relations between the U.S. and Cuban governments could be described as tense. Emotions and tensions are running high all around. And now, a single song seems to be in the middle of a historic moment in the long and complicated story of the relations between the two countries. This is an historic moment. There is no precedent for how the Cuban people have demonstrated their frustrations against their government and with the status quo. And so, you can count on Alt-Latino to continue to follow the developments on the island and the impact of arts and culture on this discourse. Be sure to check out our website at npr.org altlatino to view the Patria y Vida video as well as other links related to this story. Our thanks this week to Lily Blanco, Dr. Aisha Court, and Daniel Imovar.
And also to Alt-Latino contributor Maris Arbona Ruiz for attending the White House rally. And as always, Alt-Latino intern Rihanna Cruz for everything she does. You have been listening to Alt-Latino from NPR Music. I'm Felix Contreras. And I'm Ana Maria Sayer. Thank you for joining us for this ride of an episode. We appreciate you. And we're going to hear the song in question. This is Patria y Vida. Y eres tú mi canto de sirena Porque con tu voz se van mis penas Y este sentimiento y es tan viejo Tú me dueles tanto aunque estés lejos Hoy yo te invito a caminar por mi solar Pa' demostrarte de que sí, ven tus ideales Somos humanos aunque no pensemos iguales no tratemos ni dañemos como animales Esta es mi forma de decírtelo Llora mi pueblo y siento yo su voz Tu 59, yo doble 2 60 años, trancada el dominó Mambo ah, y platillo a los 500 de La Habana Mientras en casa las cazuelas ya no tienen jamás Que celebramos si la gente anda deprisa Cambiando Che Guevara, llama al tipo la divisa Todo ha cambiado, ya no es lo mismo Entre tú y yo hay un abismo Publicidad, un paraíso, un varadero Mientras las madres lloran por sus hijos que se fueron Se acabó Tu 5 no lo doble do Ya se acabó ah, eh. 60 años, trancada dominó Mira, se
This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Host a celebratory brunch for less with 365 by Whole Foods Market. Featuring wallet-happy finds like cold smoked Atlantic salmon and more. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. 